Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the JGA7, a season of seven episodes looking at trends, insights and the future of business activity. Today we are going to look at personalised marketing, analysing the ethical dilemma that this strategy creates as we ask the question, where to draw the line? I am joined by a great guest today specialising in this form of marketing who's going to explore this question with us. Hello, uh, my name is Jacques. I am the Head of Programmatic for Starcom UK. Starcom is one of the media buying agencies under the Publicist Group. My role and function is to execute all display and video buying across the programmatic ecosystem. So just to give a quick brief introduction of what programmatic is. It's the automation of buying and selling of digital inventory, typically underpinned by using some or other form of signal or data to determine uh, which impression to fulfill. And it's that automation uh, process, which is referred to as programmatic media. And it's across the entire open internet. So anywhere where you're online, outside of your walled gardens, outside of your Facebook or Instagram social elements. So if you're reading something on The Guardian and you see an ad, chances are that ad was fulfilled using programmatic technology. So let's start as we always do and define personalized marketing. So personalized marketing or one-to-one marketing is a strategy where companies use data analysis techniques and new technologies to deliver individual messages and product offerings to current and prospective customers. So Jack, what does that mean in practice? In practice, personalized marketing, very simple concept. If I like um, say running and I'm, I'm into you know, uh, cross training and all of that, I may visit, for instance, the Guardian and I may see an ad for a running shoe. Yourself, you may be interested in travel and um, going you know, on cruise ships. So when you visit the exact same page, reading the exact same content to the same URL, you're going to see an ad for travel. Now, because of our individual personal differences and the data signals that we give off when, from our digital footprint, the ads that we see are tailored specific to what um, our interests and our potential affiliations or our in-market categories are. And that process there is, is what, when we talk about the personalized one-to-one. The most common one that we've probably all seen and um, it has a bit of a, a bad reputation is what's referred to as retargeting. That's when you go to a website and as you browse that website, it drops a cookie on you. Or if you fill in a form and provide an email address, it could potentially create a, a universal ID a character for you. When you visit other websites, you then start seeing ads for the site that you just visited. So that, that's the most common one. Uh, it does sometimes annoy people because Unfortunately, not everyone applies frequency caps so that, you know, once you've seen it, they stop sending it to you because what they're all trying to do is they're trying to get attribution. They're trying to make sure that 
the ads that they served you is the one that gets counted as the ad that drove the sale or drove the newsletter sign up or you know drove drove the visit to the website following receiving that so that, that's where personalized marketing sits it's a it's a process of using data and signals to serve specific ads to users with specific interests uh, or affiliations or potential uh, patterns which will indicate um, a, a likely outcome. Thank you. And so when I think about this style of marketing and this style of content, some big companies come to mind. So, for example, I know Grammarly sends out weekly usage reports. I know Gatorade has uh, been in the media before because they were tracking users' uh, sweat and uh, Peloton sets your uh, personal fitness goals. The most interesting one I seen was Very was recommending clothes based on local weather forecasts of its customers. So, um. You know, and as you mentioned, retargeting is probably the biggest form of personalized marketing. And to me, this all sounds positive. You know, I'll be seeing adverts that I want to see. I'm seeing newsletters that I want to see. But I can see also a lot of data has been used and potentially harvested for this type of activity. Are people generally okay with this? Broadly speaking, the answer is no. People are not okay with it. Um, we have already seen an ecosystem today where 30% of people are taking proactive steps to use ad blockers. And those ad blockers will effectively block any data signals being passed to the advertiser. So they can't make any decisions based on which ad to serve you. Um, and that that is in existence because of the way that people have been mistreating and misusing data. But we need to be careful when we define data here as well. There is personally identifiable data, and then there are macro data signals. So when you were talking about very using the weather to serve different ads, I mean, that is a lovely execution. It's a very simple execution, but it uses no personal data whatsoever, right? You can, if you want to know what the weather is, just take a look out the window, but you can automate these things, right? You can, you can plug in an API feed that will, personalize the, the the marketing message in accordance to, to that uh, the weather signals and you can be very creative here you can use live sports scores you could use um, the stock market it, it really it, it there is no limit to what what data you can put in when we start talking about your own personal information so I visited a website and now you take the liberty to serve me a thousand ads just because I happened to accidentally click on a link and went to your website well people don't like that right people don't people feel that their data needs to be respected um, we're seeing now more than ever that particularly with the onset of GDPR, uh, the CCPA coming from the states and also various other legislation from around the world it's it's starting to grow in, in momentum and we're starting to see that more and more users are starting to demand uh, that their data is treated with a, a bit more sensitivity and that they, um, that, that they can control their data. Today, 80% of people are now more concerned than ever based on the last report that Google published on how uh, they're more concerned than ever about how their data is being used and how, how companies are treating that information. So, what changes can we expect to see? We, we have already seen some major changes, right? Um, so the, the big ones are coming from um, 
the likes of Apple. They introduced in Safari their, um, their intelligent tracking prevention technology. And what they introduced it a few years ago, actually. And what it did is if you visited a website and left a website for 24 hours, that pixel, that cookie that they dropped on your browser was active. After 24 hours, it was automatically removed by default. Uh, they also then started giving users more functionality in terms of you know, how they can opt out to some of the tracking. Quite famously recently with the update of iOS 14, they implemented a um, app tracking um, prevention mechanism where as soon as you download an app, or as soon as an app required permission, the big thing that came up and said, we are going to use your personal information. The overwhelming majority of people said, you may not do that. That's not, no, <laughs> I don't want that. Um, and, you know, we've pretty much had this luxury over the, over the years where we've just taking this information and no one is ever really questioning whether should we be taking this information. And now the consumers are starting to be given better technology and, and better functionality within the operating systems that they use. Uh, this is being powered by the browsers, by the, the mobile phone operating system producers. Uh, they are giving more power to consumers to make these decisions. And what we're seeing overwhelmingly is that people are moving away and saying, actually, I'm not comfortable with you tracking my data. Um, and I, I need to be a little bit more clear about what you're gonna do with that information. Why do you need that information? And we're seeing Google moving in the same direction. There's a lot of talk of late of the privacy sandbox or uh, the, the Chrome update. So that's when, if you look in the UK, about 60% of people are using a Chrome browser to access the internet. Now, Currently, it works fine. It works on cookies, works the same way it always has. You visit a website, drop the cookie, and off you go. That's going to change. Google's going to move in the same direction as Safari. And ultimately, what's going to happen is they're going to say, right, no more third-party cookies. Uh, you have to have first-party data on users. So that data that a company themselves have collected with approval, explicit consent. Uh, and if you don't have that, sorry, you can't just track people because you, you felt like you know, you had the liberty to do so. Um, as that change happens, we're going to see some interesting things. Um, what will, will happen is that the value of data is going to be more clear, right? At the moment, when we look at across the entire internet, we can identify and track about 50% of the open internet. Once you consider ad blockers and you consider the Safari uh, blockers and all that, about half of the internet is what we call authenticated. Once Chrome moves over into the new um, structures based with their um, intelligent tracking prevention technology, what will happen is that'll drop down to anywhere between five and 15%. Now, if you can only track one to one, five to 15% of the internet, we're gonna have to start getting a bit more creative and we're gonna have to revise new strategies and we have to devise new ways of targeting, new ways of reaching these people, right? But remember, it doesn't have to be personal information. We can still be very creative using data signals, such as an example is the very case. So these are some big changes that are coming up. Um, what is this going to mean in practice for agencies and for businesses that use and uh, in cases rely on this form of marketing? Well, in short, if you're not going to adjust or change, um, you'll see a very simple thing. The 
number of authenticated users online is going to go down in terms of what you can identify. So the bid density or demand on those particular users is going to go up. So the cost is going to go up. So if you don't do anything, your cost will inflate and you will only be addressing a very small part of the internet. Um, so ultimately, everyone's been forced to change whether they like it or not. What we would say is we need to kind of reshape our expectations here. We need to look at it and say, right, where is the value in data? What data are we collecting? Why are we collecting it? How have we built an ecosystem that is built with privacy first and foremost at front of mind? And what is the value exchange? Consumers will very happily give you data if it's very clear why they're giving you that information. Right? This could be anything from, we'll give you discount codes, we'll give you custom um, access to, to various sections of the website, or whatever it may be. You can, the creativity here is endless. You, it creates a challenge for brands to be a little bit more specific about how they manage first party data, right? So that data that consumers give them directly and how they store that information and how they use that information in application. That could be to inform their marketing strategies. That could be to, they would still be able to use some new version of the retargeting strategy as before. So rather than just doing it because you visited my page, drop a pixel, off you go, what would happen in a new system within Privacy Sandbox? What the user will go to the website, fill out a form, provide an email address. That email address can be uploaded into the system. If you're using the Google tech stack, it's called customer match. That customer match will allow them to then target that user offsite. And the reason you can still do that because the user has given explicit consent. They will also receive extra control and a few extra mechanisms that allow them to opt out should they want to. So those are all very good things. But the the big impact here is going to be shifting that expectation in terms of you know hitting people on a one-to-one -one basis, but maybe more into a um a, a panel base or more of a aggregated base. So rather than saying, okay, I can track this individual impression to this individual user to that individual transaction, we're now going to say we can sample small subsets of data where we can work out what the average performance is and then we can use that modeled information across all of our data to infer performance so it, it what it's ultimately doing it forcing us to move in the direction of a privacy first we're not trying to sit there and track individuals but we're rather trying to still track business outcomes but track them in a responsible way where we're not necessarily using individual personal data to do that, but we do will, and we will have access to very accurate small subsets that can power our overarching intelligence. And what about the changes that you mentioned, um, Google? I mean, it's the, the biggest search engine, one of the biggest digital eco ecosystems. What impact is this going to have? So you're right. Google is is an absolute giant in this space, um, and th they are in a very strong position because you know when we think of Google, we think we obviously all think of the search engine. We all, but you also got to understand that they cover things like YouTube as well, and YouTube is by far the largest video provider online. Um, so they have a massive play in that in that space. They also control Android. 
right? And so that is huge in terms of kind of uh, access to people's smartphone data. They have Google Analytics, which is site analytics tool, which is also absolutely huge. Um, they've they've got various other properties to plug into it. I mean, some of them are you know a little bit more interesting, such as you know driverless cars. I don't think those will necessarily have any any major impact here. But when it comes to uh, Martech and come to advertising, Google is huge, and they will definitely be focusing and doubling down on the search intelligence and YouTube, um, because those those are their two core products, right? Um, and they're always going to ensure uh, that any changes that are made will be done in a way that can still sustain a viable industry, because it's in their interest, it's in the brand's interest, and ultimately, I do believe it, it's in the consumer's interest as well. Um, it Having good quality content for free online to being able to read good quality journalism has to be funded in some way and that is funded by advertising and advertisers need to be able to get reassurances that the media that they're buying is actually performing so there needs to be some kind of back and you will still be able to measure you will still be able to do personalized marketing you just won't be able to do it to the granular level that is possible today and companies will be forced a little bit more into thinking about what data they collect, why they collect it, ensure that they have explicit consent to collect that information in the first place, and that it is appropriately managed. So what does this explicit consent uh, look like? So, you know, you, you said it's no longer just dropping a cookie. So do you have some examples about what this is going to be? A good example of explicit consent is filling out an email address and saying, yes, there's my information, you can have it, right? Setting, building a profile account. So if, when you sign into your Gmail, you sign into your Google account, right, you've given them explicit consent to take that information and hold it. Now, I, I take your point that, you know, maybe the... the, the, the sharing of that information has, has been a little bit loose in the past, but that is kind of where these the new regulations are focusing and doubling down, making sure that uh, when someone does consent to that information, that it is being done in a responsible manner. So it's not just a case of, you know, okay, I'll tick a box as I land on the website, more so because I want the box to get out of my way, not because I actually am giving my consent. Um, and then just assuming you've got car plant to do whatever you want with that information, that's going to stop. So it may be a little bit more annoying at first because you're going to have to sign into a few more things. We are seeing publishers now starting to experiment with uh, sign-on walls. So previously, you would have visited that publisher and the content would have just been readily available with ads right there. They're now saying, oh, can you please give me an email address or can you please um, give me some personal information and then consent to receiving personalized ads because they can make more money off of those um, as a publisher because brands and buyers are going to pay a premium for an authenticated user where they can qualify uh, the interest of that user or qualify the um, affiliation to that user. So therefore they know their ads are being shown to more relevant and um, people within the right context. So if you are going to sign in and say, yes, I consent, fine. That's what explicit, explicit consent looks like. But this is where brands and publishers need to 
to to kind of develop their, their their offerings a little bit. They need to be a little bit more clear with consumers about you know why they're collecting that data, what are they doing with that data, and who they're sharing it with. And th that change is largely what what underpins the big things that are happening in the industry right now. But surely this is still problematic. Just like pressing accept on the cookie, the user might just be pressing the autofill option for their email address to quickly gain access. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's not it's not perfect, um, and we need to be a little bit more mindful about the value exchange here. We need, as you know, publishers, as brands, as agencies. We need to ensure that when someone does provide consent, that it is done knowingly and that they understand why they're providing that data and what the data is going to be used for. We are already seeing now that kind of behavior. You know, when you want to read a website and that big annoying banner pops up, and you're not pressing OK because you, you actually understand why you're pressing OK and what you're consenting to. What you're actually doing is just saying, get out of my way. I want to read this content, right? It's human nature to do that. But that's not going to be good enough. We need, we need to improve the standards and we need to um, create an environment where user privacy is first and foremost. And everything that we do is privacy by design, that we are respecting consumers' wishes not to be simply treated as you know, another number in a database. We users have come out with a very strong chorus saying that they are concerned with how their data is being uh, recorded, how it's being managed, and kind of you know what companies are doing with it. As responsible brands and responsible marketers, we we have a duty to our consumers to to improve that standard and to, and to do more. So we we need to ensure that. We don't end up in that situation of just a click, okay, yes, move on, right? There needs to be a relationship. There needs to be a back and forth. There needs to be an added value provided in order to create a sustainable ecosystem where uh, there's a clear transaction happening when someone says, I will give you this data in return. I want you to give me a better experience or uh, a better uh, product or more relevant information, you name it. Uh, that needs to come to the to the forefront. That that ethos and that behaviour needs to be the guiding principle. Privacy first, and respecting consumers' wishes when it comes to data. So I want to go back to the question for this episode then. Um, and I know you said that every company needs to be going along with the same ethos. In certain situations, I'm guessing some companies aren't going to do that and they're going to want to try and manipulate the system, shall we say. So from your perspective, where do we draw the line? At what point is this data usage ethical and when does it become unethical? Well, I think you're playing a very dangerous game if you, if you intend to flirt with this line, right? Um, because... Marketing is about reaching peak consumers. It's about getting a message across and getting a positive experience. If you are going to try and find ways to circumvent these technologies, and uh, there, there's numerous ways of doing that. You can use a technique called fingerprinting. 
where you use a whole bunch of other signals to pretty much infer who the user is without them actually giving any consent. If you're going to start trying to do things like that, you're only going to alienate your consumers. You're only going to upset them more and more and more. And that is only going to be bad for business. So I would say, yeah, maybe not everyone's going to immediately change, but if they refuse to change, they will do so at their own peril. And so to round off the episode, Jax, what is your top tip for businesses and for individuals that are considering the use of personalized techniques in their marketing and their sales strategies? Yeah, I think creativity is is always a key point uh, when it comes to how data is applied because you can you can be ethical and you can be responsible and being creative in the application of data because it doesn't always have to be personal information, right? If you are using the business intelligence at your disposal to the the greatest potential that it can achieve, you will find success. And I would also say second top tip is appreciate your consumers, appreciate your customers, listen to them, right? The the narrative of we we will just take this data and do whatever we want because we have to have one-to-one measurement, that no longer flies. People want to have a value transaction. They want to feel that you are respecting their privacy and that you are uh, taking them seriously and that you, you put in place the required infrastructure to manage and deliver a privacy-by-design, um, you know, consumer-centric tech ecosystem that can deliver both. It can deliver uh, for the brand and the business, but at the same time, be respectful and mindful of consumer data. And then a third point I would say is really take time to focus on that value exchange, right? If you're going to be building this trust, you need to kind of give and take, right? And brands need to sit there and they need to have a, a a good think about what information they're collecting, why are they collecting it, and how that adds value, not just to the brand, but also to consumers. And if, if they can do that with a, a great detail and a clear mission strategy, they will find success. Whoa, so much to unpack and consider from this discussion today. So for our listeners, What are your thoughts and feelings on personalized marketing? And do you think the changes in regulations are going to make an impact? Let us know on our socials, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at JGA Group. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on The Learner Zone. You don't want to miss the next episode of the season where we will get you to think like a billionaire. Yes, really. Now, I would like to thank my guests, Jax, for their contributions to this episode. Now, I've been Owen Twydale. This has been the JGA7, and I'll see you next.